before we get started, I got to let you see this video that's kind of sort of like what we do. And if you're a student worker, if you volunteer, if you know the name of a teenager, if you've ever had kids in your home, if you're the grandparent or great-grandparent that spoils the kids and sends them home, dude, this hits home. Okay, here we go. Go ahead and show the video. This man right here is my great-grandfather. He's the first cat herder in our family. A lot of volume. Herding cats. Don't let anybody tell you it's easy. Anybody can herd cattle. Holding together 10,000 half-wild short hairs, well, that's another thing altogether. Being a cat herder is probably about the toughest thing I think I've ever done. I got this one this morning right here. And if you look at his face, it's just ripped to shreds, you know? You see the movies, you hear the stories. It's, I'm living a dream. Not everyone can do what we do. I wouldn't do nothing else. It ain't an easy job, but when you bring a herd into town and you ain't lost a one of them, ain't a feeling like it in the world. All right, good. You go ahead and go to the bridge slide. We'll go ahead and skip ahead to the bridge. And thank you guys already up in the booth. I got to say, uh, usually I kind of control everything. I'm not a control hound, okay? So nobody get on Facebook and say, Dear Lisa, spouse of Dave, I'm sorry. I'm not that, but uh, we'll try to talk back and forth in the slides. When you see the cat herding, can anybody relate to that? You know my word, if you've ever volunteered with any middle school volunteers, okay, you look at them in the face, and you're like, I need you to go from here to there. And they don't go from here to there. They go all over the place. And that's one of the reasons I like the dynamic nature of student ministry. But if you have kids in your home, there's sometimes, as you'll see from the sermon, we pitch a simple thing to them. Thank you very much, Bordeaux. You're my hero. Um, not for the coffee, but just because who you are. Um, you, you pitch something to them, and you want to catch it, but you're like, they're just not getting it. So what we're going to do right now is kind of do some best practices of what you're going to hear the overview of in the sermon. So if you've already been to the sermon... This is going to make a little bit more sense, okay? So if you're about to go to the sermon, take notes, then get fired up about it here in a few moments. That's how this is going to work. I want you to look at this bridge. If statistics hold true, and Bordeaux's right, you hear a lot of, 85% of our kids will leave the Lord. It's really more 45 to 50%. But that's still not good. As I'll say in the sermon, it's like looking at your kids. I have two teenagers saying, I'm going to put more effort into you than this one because you're not going to make it and you are. I mean, that, that's weird. <laughs> By the way, some of you in your heart are like going, yeah, I feel that way. Don't say that out loud. That's it's not good parenting. But here's the next one. One out of two. Let's keep going through. Four out of five, though, intend to cross well. When we ask students at Fuller Seminary in our longitudinal study called Sticky Faith, where we went to students five years out of high school. The research, by the way, we just did some more with churches across the country. It's a new program called Engaging Young People, Growing Younger. Can't tell you anything about it. It's all top secret. But the research is still holding true all of these years later that four out of five, if you ask the seniors in the Preston Crest Youth Group, do you plan on staying faithful to God? There's going to be this one oddball that just wants to get out of here. But for the, and they'll probably make it, by the way. But for the most part, four out of five will say, I intend to stay involved with faith. Look at this quote from a guy named Eli from our study. He said this, 
God is not the friend he was in high school. He is now more like the grandparent I only visit on holidays or special occasions. Kind of makes me a little sad. There's a little bit of intimacy lost when going to college. So here's what Sticky Faith is all about, and here's our philosophy. And I think this will become the clicker. This will be my clicker. It's like a Jedi Force Awakens clicker. There we go. Any Star Wars people? Thank you. Again, we're not in a sermon, so I can stop and ask those questions. It's, Obi-Wan Kenobi is Ray's grandfather. Okay, anyway, so a more effective church where you have passionate, unwavering young people. Here's our philosophy. Let's never lose them in the first place. That is the whole crux of what's trying to take place at the Fuller Youth Institute. If you put that next slide up, give you a bunch of information. Every once in a while, go around, uh, snoop on the Fuller Youth Institute page, stickyfaith.org. There's some cool tweets if you want to follow that, that uh, you know, kind of get you in the sticky faith realm. But constantly placing research into practice so that we can build community, so we don't have to play reactive, but to be proactive in what we're trying to do with students in the church today. So here's some curriculum. I gotta show this, this is fun, you've probably already seen it. Sticky Faith Books and Cre- Ooh. Hey, Great, that's like finding the Millennium Falcon. <laughs> yes, I'm a geek, so. Um, can't drink my coffee, what do I choose? The lesson or coffee, I'm gonna choose Jesus. Okay. So, Sticky Faith Books and Curriculum, I know that Bordeaux is uh, probably going to go through some of these things with you, or maybe you already have. Uh, I'm telling you, nobody's trying to make any money off this thing. You can go right now on stickyfaith.org, and there's all kinds of practical things on how to have devotionals, free curriculum. It is incredible because most of the money that leads this project is from different foundations that are as passionate as you and I are on keeping our kids involved with faith. All right, so... Here's what I want you to do with the person next to you. Just talk about it. Imagine your kids at age 25. Now, some of you who are older, go back to 25. Maybe if you don't have kids, think about now that you're 24, what's it like to be 25. If you have babies, okay, 25. What do you hope their lives will look like in their faith? And then name two or five significant characteristics of their faith. Turn to the person next to you, okay? Answer those questions, go. I'm not giving you very much time. All right, I'm glad you had such a long conversation. We have 30 minutes, so uh, I'm going to cut you short. Does anybody just like to share what is what, just a, a characteristic you would love for your student to have when they're 25? Somebody raise your hand and tell me. Yes. Enthusiasm. Enthusiasm. Actually love coming to church, okay, and being involved with God's people. What else? That's all we have. We just want to be excited. Yes. Involvement. Involvement. 
like more than just Sunday service, but actually in small group service, okay? Anything else? Yes? Oh, I love that. Care about what God thinks, his economy of the world, and not what other people think. Basically, get off Facebook and you'll figure out what God wants. That'll be good. What else? Yes. Yes, interested in finding a Christian mate. That they, they want that yoke with a believer and not an unbeliever. Absolutely. Somebody else? Yes. Oh, I love that. As you're holding your baby, that's the best thing. Need to get a bigger bow on that baby, though. That's awesome. <laughs> so that their heart would hurt for others in need. And that's the greatest commandment. To love the Lord your God and then your neighbor as yourself. We have all of these hopes. What we call it fuller, this kind of fruition, is this idea of sticky faith. A faith that sticks when they are 25. It's internal attitudes and external behaviors. Exactly what you're saying. We don't want people who just like play church and wear the church clothes. But there's an internal compass. There's something going on inside that are bringing about the external attitudes. And it's both personal. And by the way, hear me say this. The phrase personal Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is not in the Bible. Because it's not personal to live in faith. Yes, I have a personal relationship with Jesus. But if you're new to the faith, when you were baptized into Christ, that is awesome. Verse 47, the Lord added to their number. We're family. I hope you like me. I like coffee. Let's talk a thousand years from now. We're stuck together. And it's not just personal, but it's communal. As you find out in the sermon, we need each other. And it's one that's in process. Sometimes, I learned this a long time ago, with maybe the standards that I held myself to, but in youth ministry now for 26 years, when I first started, I started to realize we hold our students to a higher standard than we do some adult believers. And the adult believers should be a higher standard than the kids because the kids are journeying in a process. But have a kid cuss during a prayer. That happened one time, long story. Um, you're like going, that's not, whoa. And he ran out of the auditorium because he panicked. And people are like, you're a horrible youth minister. I'm like, he's just repeating what the deacons are saying behind the church. I mean, you know, there's, there's this communal and also process that's part of sticky faith. So you're going to see some of these major concepts. But I want to give you just some best practices for some of the sticky principles you heard in the first sermon or you're going to hear here in just a moment. Talking about a sticky gospel. A gospel that's not just about managing sin, but about transformation of life. There's a difference. Does he still feel the nails? No. Christ the Lord is risen today? Yes. Romans 6, dead is dead, life is new in Christ. This gospel that's sticky. Here's some things you can take with you. One is this. Relationships and interaction centered in grace. Look at that kid. A lot of grace required. <laughs> grace holds people to a higher standard, not a less standard. But it, part of that journey, do you, do you have interactions with each other and with students that are filled with grace? Do you have words with your children and they're not only those of, let me tell you what you didn't do, but do you find them doing things they do well? Now let me quantify that. We've done a decent job, I think, and I think it's wrong at times in the past. We have a billboard up maybe in the youth room or in a church like this in the main hall. And if you have this, I haven't seen it. 
but we put all of our straight-A students, or, oh, this person was a homecoming queen, and this person was a football captain. I'm not talking about catching kids doing all of those things, because the world does. Have fun with it. But that's less than 10% of the kids. I'm talking about the bell curve kids, where a kid is caught doing something that's because they are, it's in their character, in their nature, that you reward those do's instead of just always approaching them with don'ts. Have those kind of interaction. Here's another sticky faith idea. Welcome doubts. We talked about this in the assembly. That 70% of our students have doubts. But hardly any of them feel like talking about those with us. Now here's some of the things that we found these kids said they doubt, they struggle with. Does God exist? Is Christianity true, truly the only way to God. Does God love me? Am I living the life God wants? And one thing that we found recently is, tell me what this deal is about same-sex attraction. It can get nasty. It gets real. Do our students feel that they have permission to express and explore doubt among us? Some of us give this treatment like the little middle school teacher. We don't talk about that here. Shh! Teacher, can I ask you a question? You know, what is this whole, you know, seven days, you know, six days creation, God resting? Can we talk about, shh, it's on the flannel graph, don't challenge it. I just had to throw flannel graph. You're not laughing. Look it up on YouTube. It's a great teaching. Very fun. Um, We have to create environments because our kids will find an environment by which to answer their questions. You remember this guy? Steve Jobs is an incredible leader in a lot of ways. You go to his book, and there's a funny conversation in there that when he was 13, there was a Time magazine cover with an African you know, uh, person on there when the, the awful malnutrition, and he took it to a Sunday school teacher. He said, and he said, does God see this? Does God see what's going on? Does God know if I just raised my hand? And the teacher, instead of exploring and helping him express what he was seeing is like going, yeah, he does. Be, be seated. Be quiet. We have to have spaces where we can express and explore doubt. Also, we need to realize and teach to our students that Jesus is bigger than any mistake. If you have a gospel that's sin management, If our kids make a mistake, which they will when they go to college, or they'll do it right here, right in front of us, how were they received? They understand they're going to get consequences. But are they reminded who they are in the image of God and realize that Jesus is bigger than any mistake? One of the families that we work with, with the Fuller Youth Institute, they got this eraser. And with this principle, they they wrote that on the side because they wanted their student to know that like a whiteboard, when something happens, God takes it. And Jesus is bigger than whatever mistake that the family is going to be about the journey with them. But when we are so focused on a behavior-based gospel that when a student doesn't match up to the behavior, it's hard for them to see Jesus because they believe, remember one of those doubts, that does God really love me? So they need to receive a gospel that is grace-based and not behavior-based. Is everybody with me on that? Okay, now you get to talk about it. Think about a recent situation in which offering grace was a struggle. Or talk about options for responding where grace plays more of a part. Go ahead, turn. 
talk to the person next to you. You can talk about your own life or that of parenting. So this morning, my wife uh, called me. I was I left, um, started driving over here around 6:30. Went through McDonald's. So you gotta have your you know sausage McMuffin. And I'm pulling onto Preston Crest Drive, and and my wife calls, and she knows where I am. I'm like, you know, after 25 years of marriage, I mean, she we kind of know each other's schedule, and uh, I'm like, is everything all right? And she goes, hon, did you leave the door open? I'm like, no. The back door? No. We have a new puppy. It's a uh, chocolate lab um, that ate too much yesterday that decides I have to go to the bathroom now. Well, it's my son's dog. And my son, who I'm sure is just like half awake, opened the door and thought this puppy would go through the doggy door. Well, as my wife woke up, there were two presents, shall we say, that were left. And this grace idea, I'm like going to hun, hun, hun. I, you need to hammer him, but it, you know he's doing pretty good. And I'm thinking, okay, that's, that's dog poop. But what, when our, what happens when our students make a big mess on the floor? Now, you, you, some of us have the ability, and I do, and I've done this before, of reminding them and pointing to the poop constantly. There are consequences. But there are times when we need to offer grace and a chance to rebuild trust that's been broken. That's what God gives us. God gives us immediate forgiveness. Sometimes it's hard because we want to remind our kids of the poop that's on the floor, the mess they made of our life. True? So it's hard. So I don't know what you're talking about. This is something we have to constantly do in community. How many of y'all have older, more wiser people that you call when there's something going on in your family? Raise your hand. That makes me sad. Every one of us should have that. My wife and I both lost our dads. Uh, my wife lost hers before she became a teenager. I mean, the end of her teenager life. In the first year of our marriage, almost 24 years now, my dad's been gone. Her mother's passed. My mom is the only remaining person in our family. No grandparents, nothing. And we reach out from a young age as soon as we had kids. Even in discipline, when there's something on the floor, do we give grace, consequences? What is the balance of that? We reach out and we have conversations like you just had. But it's an ongoing conversation because there's sometimes I'm like, should I lock my son in a closet? I mean, tell me yes, please. And just, I'll put bologna and cheese sandwiches under the door. That's what I want. But maybe it's a wiser, older person that comes, and you'll see this in a moment, one of our best practices, let me talk to him. And there's consequences, but then more of a grace. 
It is all right to ask other people for advice when it comes to this idea of gospel and how to give grace and how to talk about options for responding with grace. Now, I'm just talking about discipline. There's a myriad of things we could talk about when it comes to giving a gospel that is grace-based and not behavior-based to our children and each other. And it involves real, authentic conversations. All right, so here's these two circles. You may have seen this uh, kind of illustration. We have a partnership with Reggie Joyner and the Orange folks. Get this, okay? You have family, you have faith. Behold, that's what Orange is all about. That... Bordeaux, as I said, and Gordon, is, they're not going to raise their kids for you. They're not looking at a separate situation because Deuteronomy 6 calls all of us to impress upon our children faith in the ways of God. So let's just look very quickly at some of the best practices for being sticky families. Anybody remember the car rides? Now, if I had an old enough picture, that'd be a station wagon. But we didn't have seatbelts. You remember that? You had like some kind of faux leather seat where you sat with your shorts in the heat of Dallas and you just stuck when your mom tried to throw your face into that metal dashboard. And the only seat belt you had was the arm of your mother just boom across the chest. We liked it. I mean, those were the days. (laughs) Anybody ever play car bingo? License plate bingo? Yeah, it's everybody who's kind of my age and around there or older because we didn't have iPhones. We had eight tracks and we loved it. Okay, that's what we had. Oh, we listened to his Oak Ridge Boys. Had to have therapy for that one. I mean, that's all we listened to. But you had to have conversation. And one of the things that we found out is in our culture today, when people take a ride that we have four different individuals on their devices, all plugged up, and mom and dad like it because the kids are quiet. Let them talk. I was so mad the other day, my daughter got her iPhone, and her friend had her iPhone, and I'm driving back, we're driving back from somewhere, and both of them were on their phones, sitting next to each other, and I said, enough! They're like, dude, dad's lost it. I'm like, turn your iPhones off. They turned them over and looked at me. I'm like, now, whatever is outside these windows, I don't care what it is, start talking about it. <laughs> so they're like going, that's a nice sign. That's a good, that's a, that's a nice bush over there. It's good. Oh, look at that. That's wonderful. I'm like, that's the way that I like it. Keep it up. And so they did it for 15 minutes. Another part of insanity. But I mean, it was awesome. Conversations. Deuteronomy 6 says, as you rise up, as you lie down, as you go along the road, speak about the ways of the Lord. It talks about write them on your doorpost, write them on the frames of your house. I know that we've put Hobby Lobby in great position because we've taken that literally and filled our house with scripture. Go for it. But that's not what that scripture means. What that scripture meant was as we go along, our conversations are so God-filled that we take every single moment to teach something about God. Warning, if you have a teenager, they figure it out after a while. After a while, you're going to have to have some of that grace-based parenting because if you're like, if you have my son, he's like, is this one another one of those lessons? I'm like, yeah, you're going to hear it's great. People like to hear me speak and you're going to right now. <laughs> I mean, it just, I'm telling you, conversations is something we have to bring back. What happens at your dinner table? David Lewis that just passed away is a great legendary person in Bordeaux and I's family tree of youth ministry. 
He's a great guy, one of the first researchers in the Churches of Christ. Him and Carly Dodd did this whole research about the dinner table, and they believe that the dinner table and the loss of communication at the dinner table is directly related to some of the loss of spirituality in our teens, and I agree with it. What do we talk about, or is everybody in their own room? I got real quiet. That's odd. Okay, how about this one? Past and present spiritual journey. If you ask students, do you know the spiritual journey of your mom and dad? Do you know why they gave their life to Jesus? Do you know their conversion story? Out of the students we looked at, this shocked me. None of them had heard. And sometimes I present, and and I'll give this challenge to you, a sticky faith challenge. Tell your kids, grandkids, great-grandkids, why you're a Christian. And here's the response. Well, do they need to know everything? Did a lot of bad stuff. Yes. A few years ago, I'm driving with my mother. She's 84 years old. And I still want to hear all of her stories. She was a single mom, bad divorce situation before she met my dad way back in the 50s. And, you know, that's, that's never cool, but it wasn't cool back then. And I don't even know what happened in California. I'm just driving down by Alliance Airport, and she starts crying. And I'm like, is my mom having a stroke? You know I mean? What, what's happening here? And she's like, I don't know where I would be without Jesus and your dad. What happened, Mama? One time I woke up and it, on the other side of this chain fence, and I'm like, were you drunk driving? Oh, I don't want to talk about it. But what impressed me is she was overcome with the message of Jesus. I could have that conversation. And I don't know everything about my mom's past, but I know we're present. And she keeps sharing stories. Share your stories. It authenticates and makes us sticky family individuals. How about rituals? I don't know about you. You know, eating together can be a ritual. Cooking out on the grill do you have a ritual? Our family even has the ritual. Let's all load up and we're going to go to QT because mom has a gift card because she's a counselor and we're going to get a bunch of cheap drinks and drive around. They're like, woo! I mean, that, I, that's a ritual. Don't judge me. It doesn't have to be a lot of money. Beef jerky can bring you closer to your kids. I mean, that works. But do you have something that is yours where conversation can be sticky? Some of you can go to games and you go to games because that's what your son or daughter likes to do. It's your ritual. My daughter and I go to breakfast at McDonald's or Chick-fil-A every Friday. Not because, you know, that's what we can afford, but she looks forward to that because that's our ritual. My son, who's 15, that went through a really weird time last year, even in his weird time trying to figure out who was close to him and who was not, he would walk into my room at 11 o'clock at night and I would be sleeping and he would say, Dad, can we go to McDonald's? So I got out of bed, and we went and bought four McChicken sandwiches <laughs> for Jesus, okay, and uh, a Sprite. Why? Because it was his normal. It was our ritual. Find those. How about this one, serve together? We talked about this in the early service. You got this tornado that y'all are doing some incredible things with. Go together. And I realize some things young kids can't be a part of, but you know, our family does vacation Bible school together. Our, our family's done mission trips. And a lot of times when you're in youth ministry, it's easy because your whole family comes. But how about beyond the activity of the church? You just go because this is what you do. So somebody's in the hospital. We load the kids up. 
We're going to stop by QT. Then we're going to go to the hospital. Because they get to see mom and dad serve. They get to serve. Yesterday, I didn't get until late at night. Because there's a family of the special needs kid, very special to us. He had his 18th birthday party, and he wanted to serve. We went out to Athens. We shotguns, four-wheeled, whatever. He texted me since Friday, are you here yet? And you should see my kids with that kid and that family and the celebration as we served in a way. The mom and dad are great friends of ours. But what I noticed was there were over 18 people at this 18th birthday party because the grandparents' friends kept showing up. And there was gray heads all the way down to my daughter who's in middle school. And they all served together. You think my kids will ever forget that? No. And it brought authentic family connection. Here's what Diane Garland said. Research shows that families already involved in service to those in need also pray. Read their Bibles. Attend worship service. Share their faith with others. Promote justice and give more financially than those not serving. I'll tell you there's something about that. You'll hear my bias when we go to service here in a little bit. In the past, what we've done is we've sent our kids off to mission trips so they, wouldn't feel, so they would feel more grateful for what they have and stop whining. That's the lowest degree of service you can do with a kid. You serve together, and all these things happen. You get me, church? That's what happens. So, sticky churches. What's going on with sticky churches? We ask kids to rank some of their top support relationships. Look at this. Parents. Adults in the congregation, adult youth leaders, you'll find out in the sermon, those are the top three parents and surrounding adult community. Those are the major. Everything else is very far down. They're, they're a low third that make for gateway relationships to get to the top two. Friends in youth group, friends outside of youth group. This is interesting. I know students who they still come to church because of the adults they're connected to. They don't seem to fit in youth group. They still come just because of the adults. And I'm telling you, as a parent who sometimes kid, you want them to fit in. Okay, you, you, you hear me on that? And sometimes you're like going, man, I, I, I'm the, even the youth minister. My kid doesn't feel comfortable. You know, there's weirdness. You want your kid to have friends. And I know you said in church and like going, I don't know why that kid's so popular. It's my kid. You know, he's a cool kid. Wish somebody invite him out to do something, and you want to talk real loud, okay, and you want to hate their parents. I mean, I don't want you to raise your hands. When you get on Facebook, you know, and you're like going, oh, those people are so great. Somebody, you go to Facebook, and all you're doing is seeing people's highlight reels. I'm telling you, there's a lot of dysfunction in the Lord's church. And some of you are like going, oh, my kid came out of the womb, and they're reciting the Ten Commandments. No, they didn't. I was just trying to get my kids to stop pooping on everything. I mean, you, you, we got this, ah. And so we come to the youth minister and say, my kid's not fitting in. My kid doesn't have any friends, so we're going to another church. Relationships with friends is not the most important indicator of what's going to happen. It's the relationship with parents, adults, and adult youth leaders. Everything else is secondary. I know, it takes the fantastic away from youth ministry, but that's the secret sauce right there. I love this picture, and I've seen it played out over and over again. Look at the color of hair, and no hair <laughs> right there. Parents, other adults in the church, just got to think about this. Tonight, we're going to be talking some very specifics. One of the things that we do, we do a blessing service at our church in sixth grade, ninth grade, and then twelfth grade. 
And we ask the students to invite, as you're going to see here in just a moment, five adults that are not their mom and dad, that are not the paid youth ministry staff, to come to this blessing service. Some of these adults never knew they had such an impact on a kid. Because we're trying to let them know, okay, yeah, you got your parents, but as a kid, who do you talk to when you can't talk to me? All the time. This will drive your kids crazy, parents, but do this. We started when our kids were young. If you cannot talk to your mom and dad, give us the name of the adults that you can talk to. And we wrote them down. And when we have a rough time, guess what we do? We call those adults and say, can you come talk to our kid? And, oh, it's a great safety blanket. Students need that support. Of all the 13 variables, this is a neat thing we found. Intergenerational worship and relationships are some of the most powerful. Let me explain intergenerational. This is not multi-generational. Multi-generational is, okay, let's all get in the same space. Student section, adult section, just, just get along, okay? Intergenerational is when the crossover happens. When we share the same space. When you get through with your adult class and there's a few donuts left, so you have kids waiting at the door to scavenge, you know, scavenge them, I think that's awesome. Because they feel safer around you. It's when a space is shared. And we'll, we're going to outline that a little bit more tonight. We're not saying to eliminate all youth and children's activities and ministry. You're welcome, Bordeaux. What we say is this. Here's what we want out of church. A five-to-one ratio. So that it looks more like this. That there's one kid, maybe a couple, surrounded by a group of adults. When I first started student ministry 25 years ago, it's like, okay, you got to have one pretend. And then when van safety became a concern, all right, put 10 kids in a van, not 15, that's dangerous. But only 12 of them can be kids, two of them have to be adults, want them to keep the driver awake. And so you talk someone into getting in that passenger seat just, I guess, so they could do their penance to go to heaven. I mean, there's, no, we're not talking about just being there as a sponsor for children's ministry or as a sponsor for kids' ministry. Be a chaperone so the experts can walk in and really teach your kids. That's not what a sticky church is about. A sticky church is us as youth professionals giving you the keys to the car. Saying, you five adults are the one that's going to be involved with this kid. And you're going to be involved with them every time you see them, all the way till they go to college. And you're going to drive them crazy because you're always going to know their name and ask what they're doing. And, and that's what we want. We want to become sticky churches. So here's some of these as we conclude. I'm just going to run through these because we can talk to them in more detail tonight. Because I know you're all going to be back. It's going to be fun. How can we be a more sticky church where gospel and families are, are just, we're just stickier? Here's some best practices for all of us. Learn their names. People love their names. And until you don't know their names, say, hey, you kid with the blue hair. Come on over here. Look at my blue hair. Whatever you want to do. Intergenerational worship. I love this picture. It's not just the idea of multi-generation, but where are your young people plugged in? Don't just have a youth service. You have a youth service, I'm sorry. Don't just have a youth service. Say, there they are, preachers of tomorrow. Bible Bowl champions, gold medals, best preacher to be. No. They already have UIL events. 
They've already been judged by everything in the world they've ever done, plus some. Just let them join in. Don't applaud them. I remember this one kid. It's funny. We were having our Christmas Eve service. I know. It's, we're wacky liberal at the hills. And um, this kid came up, and he was going to read the scripture. And because we practice intergenerational worship, there's times the students come on stage and they don't get applause. And this one kid came up in his little suit and tie, and, and I, I told him, I said, okay, here's what's going to happen. In just a moment, you're going to read scripture, and you're not going to get any applause. You get to lead the entire church into the presence of God. And his eyes went, whoa. He was part of worship, so he read a scripture, and people were led by a child, and no one said, oh, Susie, your grandchild is awesome. It's so cool. None of that. They just joined as worshipers. Love that. How about this? Intergenerational mentoring. Tony Dungy, was, he had a kid who played football. He's a pretty good football coach in his day. And his kid would not listen to him. He's a Super Bowl coach. And he wanted to tell his kid, you're, you're eating wrong. You're training wrong. And he couldn't talk to his own kid. So it was the coach of his kid that finally his son woke up one morning, started eating right, acting right. And he's like, I've been trying to tell you this forever. It was his coach. Oh, it's humbling, isn't it? It happened to me last Monday where my son wouldn't get out of bed and he was having this episode and we had a big conversation. So I went back to my five, the intergenerational mentoring and the football coach that I work with at Richland. I called him. He goes, do I need to come over? I'm like, come on over. So he walks through the door and just like a football coach will do, he goes, Coach Frey? I said, yes, sir. He goes, am I good cop or bad cop? I said, I think you're good cop today. I laid it on thick. Okay. And he listened to him and get on about his business. Intergenerational service, we've talked about that. We'll go through because of time. Intergenerational activities, this is a group that does paintball together, old men to young men. Think about therapy, dads. Take your kids out and just shoot them. I mean, how fun is that? <laughs> but they remember it. Ask our youth group students, and we've done youth ministry forever, what they remember. I, I can go back years and years and years ago to my first youth group in Lubbock, Texas. Some of those kids are now like deacons at the hills, and they, it, it's amazing. It's cool after 26 years. And they still remember not necessarily lessons, but they remember activities with different ones of their youth volunteers where they shared a moment that impacted them. Intergenerational groups. My buddy Jeff... That's him. He's, he's somebody who's involved in this research as well. Over there in the back with a cool goatee. Right next to is another guy who's a goatee. That's Kara Powell's husband. And they have an intergenerational group. And it's pretty interesting because he's an engineer. He's a youth minister. Um, all these kids, and I wish I could say that they always enjoy being together. They don't. But they just find time to be together. And a church becomes stickier. So what do I do? Here's the deal. If you're not going to come back tonight, here's a great place to start. Start with your friends, family, and adults who care and who your kids like. Ask them the question. I mean, over dinner, okay, this guy, Dr. Frey, said, I'm supposed to ask you, who are the five adults in your life that you value? If you can't talk to me, and they'll roll their eyes, okay? They'll say, can I text you the answer? I mean, there's all weird things. Have the conversation. If your kids are young, 
and they can't talk to you and they have a beautiful bow on their head, begin to take inventory. Who are the ones that I'm going to have real relationship with? Who are the ones that are going to see my kid make a mistake and call me on the phone? That that kid will be in trouble and I will not even doubt your sincerity and I'll bust my kid just because you tell me to. Those are the people you need in your life. I have a group of people around me that, um, let me kind of end with this. That's a great video. Um, that agreement, by starting with those around you, could be the most powerful, sticky faith thing churches can do. Just by having that conversation with your spouse. If you're a single parent, you need this more than anybody else. You need to ask your kids. You need to think, who is on my team? Who are those adults? Who are those other individuals that I can find a sticky gospel message? That I can find room to have a sticky faith? That I can be a part of their sticky church? Find those individuals. On the stage at the National Conference on Youth Ministry, they asked four of us. It was, it was Dudley from OC, Robert from ACU, Walter from Lipscomb, and myself from LCU. And they were asking, okay, why are some people just kind of flaming out and doing crazy things? And we all talked about the idea of accountability and relationship. And I believe with all my heart, and I said this, that if I were to be in a relationship or something were to go wrong, if any one of those three men on that stage were to see the way that I treated my kids or to, to find out something about me and my relationship with Lisa, would beeline it over to my office and kick me in the face. I trust that. I will guarantee you, Bordeaux and I, after 16 years, if there was something in his life that I thought he's not treating his wife right, I would be here, and he would be in my place. Why? Because that's part of what Sticky Family is all about, and you have to have that. And if you don't have that, it's very hard to do this sticky raise your kids together thing, which means we've got to drop the pretense. I mean, some of us have really cool titles. Did you see my new title? Special Assistant to the President. I get to wear suits. In front of people who have lots of money. One of the most dangerous places you can be, right, man? Bordeaux still would call me out whether I have a suit on or not. I'm depending on that. Do you come to church and you do as we're going to talk about in the service, have the Christian F word, I'm fine? No, you're not. Sometimes you are. So share your fineness with someone else. But we all need community to make the sticky church work so that our families can be sticky and so that the gospel we share with our kids will be sticky. All right, I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll transition, and we'll see some of you in worship. Father, I thank you so much for what you've given us in Jesus. I thank you so much for the community of faith here. I pray that you will give them the uh, power to ask the hard questions so they can develop a sticky web of relationships. I pray for those who are maybe new, that they would understand and see the passion of this church to be a more open community with each other. Father, I pray that if these people have been here, some of them for two or three generations, that they will see the strength of their core relationships and more than ever look outside their own family and understand their responsibility to live in community with everyone around them. Father, we love you. We thank you. And we just are looking forward to the worship we're about to have. Amen. I think you're dismissed.